Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. As always, my name is Adam Burns. I'm your host for this episode and joining me once again, my co-host on the left, it's Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, first of all, how are you doing this evening? Nice to see that you are not showing any impartiality by the looks of it by that uh, Mercedes jumper. Looking good <laughs> nonetheless, but uh, how are you doing this evening? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm fully embracing lockdown two and I'm looking forward to discussing the formula the future of Formula One with you guys this evening. Absolutely. Looking forward to getting into that discussion. Of course, joining us once again on the podcast, a familiar voice on the podcast, but for the first time showing his face, it's uh, Lee Wallington. Lee, thanks for coming on the podcast once again. First of all, how are you doing this evening? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm a, I'm a bit bored without any Formula One racing going on, but apart from that, uh, I'm fine. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely right. Obviously, we're a bit starved of racing action this weekend, given that it's one of those rare weeks this season where we don't have a race. We're almost a bit spoiled, considering that we're used to a race every single week. But in the meantime, in between last week's race at Imola and this weekend's race coming up at uh, Turkey at Istanbul, the race where Lewis Hamilton could wrap up his seventh world championship, equaling Michael Schumacher's record. I think we're all in agreement that Lewis looks well on course to achieve that. It would take probably the choke of Formula One history for Lewis to not wrap up the championship at this point. But um, whilst, first of all, I think we probably should discuss this briefly. I don't want to give this too much airtime, but before we get into the meat of the actual topic we're going to discuss today, a lot of rumours have been going around regarding Lewis Hamilton's future. Will he stay? Will he leave Mercedes at the end of the season? Of course, his contract runs at the end of the season. And uh, one of our subscribers won't appreciate me mentioning this. Um, I think it was Betty who actually commented on this, asking us, please don't go down that route and talk about Lewis Hamilton's future in the same way that everybody else is doing. It almost seems that because he hasn't got a contract in place for next season and it's so late in the season, 
all of these news outlets and Sky in particular, she mentioned, seem to be making a story that Lewis Hamilton is going to be leaving at the end of the season in a similar way that Nico Rosberg did after winning his one and only world championship. I mean, without going too much into this, guys, do we feel there's any realistic chance that Lewis Hamilton will not be driving for Mercedes next season? Or do we both or do we all feel that we're in agreement that it's something that will just get sorted out at the end of the season, if not beforehand? Um, I'll start with you firstly. Well, I would say I don't think it's realistic. Um, it's, I think it's part of uh, true that he's probably exhausted from being at that peak of level, especially over a tight compact year. You're not going to any low downtime. Everyone's tired of coronavirus restrictions, including Formula One drivers. And uh, you see Lewis, and he it will go. He's been saying he turn up to a Grand Prix and he'll stay in his caravan a weekend. He doesn't mix with anyone else. Keeping strict regulations of uh, FIA's COVID restrictions. And because he, he doesn't want to risk even a slightest thing of catching COVID and impacting his championship. Everyone's fed up with that. I'm sure he is um, the biggest sporting position he is. Um, so I'm sure he's a bit exhausted of that. But at the same time, I don't see him walking away. I mean, I'm not going to whitewash him next year, but it's very likely he's going to be fighting for the championship next year. And potentially even 2022 onwards. Um, and it'd be... He's not a Nico Rosberg situation because Nico Rosberg had to dig massively deep to beat Lewis in 2016. And that, you could argue, only happened because of uh, engine malfunction on Lewis's part in Malaysia that costs Lewis the title effectively. And so Nico knew he couldn't do that again. So he walked away where Lewis has Bottas in the bag. He thinks he can beat uh, Verstappen, or, um, or he knows he can beat Verstappen, I should say. And there's no car equal to the Mercedes at the moment. So I don't just see him walking away. It's just negotiation tactics. That's my opinion. Mm. And what about you, Courtney? Yeah, I think Lee touched on a few good points there. Um I think when it comes to Lewis, I think a couple of things he'll probably be keeping an eye on. First of all, what happens to Toto Wolf? I think Toto has been very vocal about the fact that he's probably thinking about trying a new challenge or going to a more senior role at Mercedes. And he's thinking of um, pretty much bringing an apprentice, shall we say, through and um, train him up to be ready to take his place. And it'd be, I think Lewis would be interested to see where he goes. I think also a lot of this talk, you know, drivers do this to get the best possible deal when it comes to a new contract. So he's going to be opening up the idea is just to like, just for Mercedes think, geez, we need to hold on to this guy. So they're going to, so Lewis will be saying things like this. It's, it's basically a negotiation tool. Um, and then the other thing is, I think he'll be, as Lee touched on already, he'll probably win next season, fingers crossed. And then he'll probably want to see how Mercedes adapt to the new regulations in 2022. So on a personal level, I expect Lewis to be standing until 2022 at least. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's a good point, actually. I was going to mention the total wolf factor because, of course, he's not signed up to them, but he's pretty much gone on record in saying that the only thing that needs to happen for this contract to be made official is for me to sign it. It's ready to go. So a lot of talk has been on Lewis's future and obviously what's going on at Mercedes. Of course, they've been celebrating their seventh uh, consecutive Constructors' Championship, which is a record in Formula One. No team has actually ever achieved anything like that before at last weekend's Imola GP. 
and they're expecting their seventh drivers championship in a row as well. So it's taken a huge toll on the team, although a lot of toll has been taken out of other teams trying to keep up with them and the growing challenge that seems to be how to stop Mercedes. It just seems to be never ending and it seems to get harder and harder every single year. But in this case, I think we're all in agreement here that we expect once the season is over or at least once the uh, drivers championship is wrapped up, that Lewis will be able to sit down with Mercedes and Toto and just thrash it all out and get the deal done because Lewis handles his contract negotiations personally. He said that quite often, a trait that you don't often see in many Formula One drivers. You usually get their reps to do it and then just give them the piece of paper to give them what they want and then they sign it and then that's it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I can't see anything like the Nico Rosberg situation happening again with Lewis Hamilton, despite all of the ventures and projects that he's been very excited about in the way that he's spoken about the... Uh, Extreme E series and also the uh, Black Lives Matter movements and diversity changes that obviously he's been very active on. So um, long story short, guys, we expect Lewis to stay on. And Betty, if you are watching this, this is the last we're going to talk about this. And anyone else obviously doesn't want us to go on about this until we get formal confirmation as to what Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes decide to do post 2020. So now getting into the meat of the debate, the main talking point of this uh, this week's episode is the F1 engine situation. Now, for those of you that have been uh, living under a rock, a uh, about a month ago, Honda announced that they would be leaving the sport after 2021, ending their partnership with Red Bull and AlphaTauri as an engine supplier. Most, uh, well, for the main reason uh, is that they wanted to seek other avenues and focus purely on the environmental projects that they've got going for 2030 and beyond. So, of course, they want to allocate all of their resources. First things first, guys, um, I mean, we did an episode on this at the time, but what were your original thoughts or what are your thoughts regarding this situation with Honda? Because it does seem to be a worrying situation for future engine suppliers and the current ones where the newest engine supplier to the sport in Honda when they come back in 2015 have decided to, or 2016 I should say when they've decided to pull out all together so um Courtney I'm going to come to you first on this one what are your thoughts regarding the Honda situation do you think it's something that Formula One needs to worry about long term or is this something that perhaps was inevitable from Honda's perspective regarding where they want to go with their resources and their car development in the future well if the manufacturers themselves are looking into research into making engines more great which obviously is a great thing to do then the people at the very top of formula one need to be having some serious conversations about how they're going to adapt to the situation because obviously it ain't only going to be honda that are thinking this way because um particularly even if you look at mercedes mercedes put a lot of their um put a lot of their effort into their road cars as well and i'm sure they'll be thinking along similar lines to the honda and even renault so if, if this is the mindset that all these manufacturers have, are having going forwards, then it's definitely something that Formula One needs to definitely look into. And uh, what about you, Lee? Uh, I, I would think that it, if you said in January to Honda, are you planning on leaving Formula One at the end of 2021? Honda would have said no. What I think's changed for Honda is the situation with covid and I break it down to two points. I think, firstly, I think, well, as we all know, COVID is in- impacting the global economy and, and impacting different countries' economics differently. And one of the things that has been hit by the uh, 
lockdowns in various countries is the car manufacturing. And Honda, to save uh, money and resources, I think they're considering, believe you, F1, we can divert our income, which I'm sure they spend quite a lot on their engines um, and on and the money they give to Red Bull to, and AlphaTauri to effectively be works teams. Um, I'm not too sure on the financial side of things, but I think when they were with McLaren, there was like 70 million they gave to McLaren a, a year. Um, so I was just, uh, I'm not sure the exact figure with Red Bull and AlphaTauri. Um, so there, I think it's a big side of the economic side of things. But secondly, because of COVID, um, the world has changed quickly this year in regards to how they approach the environmentals and green technology. It's just, you couldn't predict how much media attention has just gone into being green and eco-friendly this year alone. Not even in December last year, it's just it's been rapid and how the attention's changed. And I think that's also played a second point in Honda's changing its attention to the, the bigger projects as Courtney touched on. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Lee. And uh, as I said, a lot of good points being made on that. And um, it's important to stress that Honda, despite dominating with the McLaren partnership in the late 80s, of course, we remember back in 1988, the MP4-4, the most, one of the most famous Formula One cars of all time, winning 15 out of the 16 Grand Prix, arguably should have won 16 if it weren't for Senna uh, being taken out of the Italian Grand Prix by a backmarker. But you look at that Honda partnership and you look at what Honda were trying to do when they returned to Formula One. And Lee, you mentioned that you know, last year they were wondering whether they're going to stay in Formula One for 2020 and 2021. And at the time they wanted to sign another short term deal. I mean, Honda have always talked about potentially leaving the sport. Uh, it's always been something on their mind, whether it's to focus on the projects that they that are going to focus on right now with their manufacturing industry to go more environmentally friendly or if it was something more money motivated and they just felt that the resources they were putting into the, the engine was just not paying dividends in terms of performances. And I don't think Honda have ever been concerned that this project was never going to succeed. And I don't know if their barometer for success was to win world championships again, as they did back in the 80s. I mean, that may have been a bit of a stretch in Formula One these days, considering that they effectively were two years behind in development the regular teams, and then another year and a half behind Mercedes by the time they rejoined the sport. So with COVID serving as a bit of a catalyst, possibly from a financial perspective, it might have made their mind up on it. But I felt Honda really wanted to give everything that they could in terms of the resources, the money, um, you know, every ounce of effort that they could to make this successful. And I think in a way you can measure it somewhat successful they've won a few races um you know in the hands of the red balls and in particular max verstappen on occasion it has been a challenge for mercedes and lewis hamilton in particular and we'll see next year with whatever package they provide red bull in their season finale if you like what success would be for them we don't know but obviously i'm going to ask you guys i mean for next season it's honda's last season what would you say would be success for them would it be uh, producing an engine that can let them win a few more races and perhaps put a championship challenge together in particularly Max Verstappen's hand and whoever his Red Bull teammate will be next season that we don't know at this point in time or would you say perhaps they need to go all guns blazing and try to win a world championship in their season finale uh, Lee I'll put that one to you first okay um I think for Honda and the and the 
proud um, Japanese uh, mantra. I think they would love to win a championship on their final season. Um, realistically, if that will happen, I don't think so. Um, so I think they'll go out all guns blazing to try and take the championship, especially in the early part of the season, towards Mercedes. But I think they will be very happy to walk away with multiple race wins. And uh, Courtney, how about you? Yeah, no, I've, I've, I've probably agree. Um, as much as um, I'm sure they'd love to be uh, winning regularly or even challenge for a championship, with, with such little change in regulations next season, it's going to be really difficult for well, anybody to get to make enough of a climb and development to even catch Mercedes. So, yeah, I'm sure they'd love to. But um, barring a minor miracle with um, reliability next season, it'd be very difficult for them to achieve that goal, I feel. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and reliability is a very important factor. Whilst the Honda engine has been fairly reliable compared to how it's been in the past. I mean, we were talking about the McLaren days that that engine was clearly not ready for uh, competing at the top end of Formula One. I mean, the design of the engine was very strange. They went for a very lightweight version originally, not to get too techy on you guys, but where the engine sort of sits on its cylinders with a turbo underneath in a, like a V shape, they tried to slot the turbos in there to sort of reduce weight. What it ended up doing was creating overheating conditions because it was too tightly packaged and caused a lot of the power issues that they had and also the reliability issues that Fernando Alonso quite famously complained about calling it a GP2 engine um, at the uh, Japanese Grand Prix of all places, which did not go down with the local fans and uh, the Honda uh, workers at their home track. So, you know, they did a lot of work to fix that and, you know, got to a point where now you could argue that in some regards, it's, uh, you know, c competitive alongside perhaps Renault uh, with, as the second best engine on the grid. I mean, obviously they've overtaken Ferrari uh, after that Ferrari engine was definitely pegged back a lot after the controversial circumstances, which we still don't know if anything wrong was found or if they'd found something fundamental in every engine and Ferrari just signed an agreement to, with them, the FIA, I should say, to keep that under wraps. But um, I guess it's something we probably will never ever find out the truth to. But in Honda's case, I think now that they are where they are, where they've got in Red Bull's hands at least, and in AlphaTauri this season as well, obviously winning that Italian Grand Prix must have been big for them. They have achieved race wins. They have been able to perform well. They have been able to be competitive in Formula One. Next season, of course, they have promised a huge improvement in their package for what they're going to provide for Red Bull and AlphaTauri in their swung song season finale, if you like. So it's going to be hard to tell what their expectations would be, but I'm with you guys. I think winning a few races is the aim for them. I think cl be closer to Mercedes, if that's possible. They'll certainly give it a go and perhaps establish themselves as the best of the rest. We know Renault will look for performance upgrades. We know Ferrari have been talking quite a lot in recent weeks about the steps forward that their engine is going to make for 2021. So we'll have to wait and see for them. But what the situation is that Formula One finds itself in now is now that their newest engine supplier is leaving the sport, uh, it's kind of like the equivalent, I suppose, of Haas leaving Formula One, you know, coming in and they think, oh, you know, financially, this isn't working out for us or this isn't, you know, it's not sustainable for us. So we're pulling out. This kind of creates a bit of a situation in Formula One now where they're having to worry about the sustainability of the sport in being able to attract not only new engine manufacturers or teams to the sport, but keeping the ones that they currently have. 
and they've gone on and made strides such as the budget cap that they're introducing soon, uh, the new regulations for 2022 now to make the, the sport much more exciting and much more competitive. At this point in time, guys, I think the question that we have to ask is, what do you think needs to be done to ensure uh, the future of the sport from a sustainability perspective? Do you feel that the engines need to be more environmentally friendly than they currently are, perhaps a bit more simplified? Or do you think we need to revert back to perhaps um, not necessarily what we had before, but a simplified version of perhaps the V8 engines? What's your thoughts on that, Courtney? It's a real tough situation because the way that Formula One needs to be looking going forward is obviously the green route because that's where we're going obviously um the general population that's where we're heading we want to be becoming more green but the problem that is green green innovations tend to be quite expensive and looking forward what you need you need to be having engines that are cheaper to make so then it encourages more manufacturers into the sport which will then hopefully bring more teams into the sport, which will then give some of these drivers that aren't getting an opportunity to come into Formula One their chance because we need one or two more teams in Formula One in order to get these young talents in or saving some of these drivers that we could potentially be losing next season. So there's a real domino effect going on here, but it's becoming clear that the issues with the with the manufacturers, we're gonna be down to three manufacturers when on the go. So we need to we need to have at least one more manufacturer so we can have more teams in. But it's a real tough one because they do. They need to find a way to make the engines more environmentally friendly, make them reliable and fast enough for it to be attractive, but then also make it affordable. So it's, it's, it's a real tough one. They need to get that balance right, but it's easier said than done. Hmm. And what about you, Lee? Yeah, well, as, as Courtney touched on, it's the... They knew need to go the greener route. The reason they went for 2014 to the current engine situation was to try and push the efficiency. And look, look how amazing how green our engines are. Not that the FIA have actually done a lot of advertising on that, but that was the idea behind it. And um, I think going back to the, the, the V8s, although the purists would love to go back to that kind of formula, um, I don't think that's the right route to follow. Because apart from it's going to be cheaper to do, it's bad publicity because you'll just become a niche sport that doesn't get the attention. And Formula One, for at least for me personally, has always been about the pushing and the innovation. And then that technological aspect, I know not every fan enjoys that. I personally do. And so always pushing the boundaries of the technology in regards to what they can do, I think it's amazing. Um, and they should always do that and not go back to something that's simple. So the finding that right balance, as Courtney touched on, is very important. And I don't think they can wait till 2026. As I, I touched on earlier, the, the green agenda that's just, not that I'm saying there's a bad thing, because it is a good thing, has just increased so much this year with COVID going on. It's about how can we make this green? How can we cut that? How can we do this? How can we improve that? And it's become such an important thing that five years, born one's going to be left behind unless they make a decision. Mm. And bring, yeah. I was even bring it forward. 
Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you, Lee. And um, sustainability has been an issue for Formula One. We've talked about engine manufacturers in the indie engine, uh, sorry, I should say indie engine manufacturers of the past. Companies like Cosworth, for example, Mechachrome, companies like that. And and these are names that I'm sure the hardcore purist F1 fans will remember back in the late '90s and early 2000s. I mean, Cosworth in particular supplied many big Formula One teams, including famously Williams, Jaguar as well repaired mechachrome was another company that supplied uh for benetton and what these companies effectively did was not necessarily provide their own engine from the ground up they would basically take a spec version of a current engine that they bought and then just add bits into it making them like an indie or sub facto manufacturer of engines and they would supply formula one teams so I mean, before we go into part two, I think we'll end it with this question to you guys. Um, with the current situation, um, would you say perhaps introducing a spec-like engine for some teams or some indie engine manufacturers to buy and then provide to teams as a service in the same way a normal engine manufacturer would do, do you think that's a potential way forward for Formula 1 to cut costs down? Or do you feel that those indie man- engine manufacturers I mentioned already, that's something that we're going to have to leave behind. I mean, would a spec engine rather than having separate engine manufacturers work better? I mean, what, what would you say to that, Courtney? Again, you've got conflicting interests potentially at stake here because there needs to be an agreement by all the teams with the direction that they're going in. But if you have a look at the likes of particularly Mercedes and Ferrari, if they're developing engines that are going to be the very best, they're not going to want to compromise. So the only way they, they, they could possibly agree is for the new teams coming in is to have their own engines, shall we say, their own set of rules. But I, I can't see that happening. They'd have to all, all agree to one set of rules. But then the guys that are currently dominating aren't going to want to give up their lead, are they? Because all the work, all the money they put into that could be taken away. So it's it's a tough one because that, that, that's always a problem with Formula 1, isn't it? That's a problem with politics. And the, 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 the teams that dominate aren't going to want to give up their advantage and to an extent, rightly so. And what about you, Lee? Oh, I would agree with the most, uh, most part of Courtney that the, the big teams and the teams with the advantage are going to give it up. And the only way that I'd ever see what you suggested happening would be that there'd be a new engine rules and all the manufacturers worked for a standard starting point that's established across all t- manufacturers and then they develop from there. So everyone starts off from the same point. But that comes back to Courtney said on politics and if that ever got to that point, which what I see of F1, no, that would never happen. That's the only way realistically it will ever happen, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I personally don't think that, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a problem where we find ourselves that the teams are going to be running this in the sport with, um, I should say, spec grade engines. Um, for me, I've never been too worried about engines in Formula 1 too much. I think the emphasis on them has been mostly in the turbo hybrid era and the sport in general was primarily focused on which teams could design the best car from an aerodynamics uh, aerodynamics perspective or chassis, etc. It's only been until the last 10 years or so where engines, I mean, even back in the 2010s, you know, up until the turbo hybrid era, Red Bull were dominating and they had arguably the worst engine on the grid. 
at least for power output. They were always the slowest team in the uh, speed traps. Yet the Ferraris and the Mercedes in particular, you know, they, they couldn't keep up with them into, you know, because of how good that car in particular was. So for me personally, if you'd have asked me this question five years ago, I wouldn't have been too worried about it. But now that the engine element has become such a factor in this series, in this championship, I mean, let's be honest, the first couple of years of the turbo hybrid era, people were saying Mercedes dominated because they had the best engine. All right, granted, they've had a pretty good car on top of it, but a lot of people were sort of taking that away from saying, well, Red Bull have got a better car than them. And they still do today. Personally, I don't agree with that. I think Mercedes have gone above them. But it's amazing how we've gone from people worrying about the aerodynamics of car and everyone looking at the cars to try and find their secrets and the, the, you know, the mechanics famously sort of stand in front of their car to try and keep that away from everybody as best as they can. Now, a lot of what makes a formula one team great seems to be what's underneath the bodywork just as much as it is uh, on the surface. So, you know, there's a lot to take from that. I don't think we're going to go back to a spec series. I, I just think formula one, has gone beyond that now to a point where spec series would make it no more interested than something like Formula E or A1 GP when they had that, for those of you that remember that in particular, um, or, or the junior series like Formula 2, where they all run similar chassis, similar engines and everything else. It's just down to that. I don't think Formula One's ever going to go back to that. So, yeah, it's, it's so many different ways that you can look at it. But um, I think we'll wrap this up for the first part anyway, because uh, we've got a few more things to talk about in part two. And... Uh, until then, guys, we will see you in part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. The DNF1 F1 podcast is a brand new show that covers the latest gossip, news and events in the world of Formula One. In each episode, we discuss the hot topics, interview guests, as well as review each race from the Formula One World Championship. We upload new episodes weekly and we upload our podcast episodes on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Play. We also upload video versions of every podcast episode on the DNF1 F1 Podcast YouTube channel, as well as other great content that you can check out. So make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and click the notifications bell so you don't miss out on any new content that we produce. You can also follow and engage with us on social media. The DNF1 F1 podcast is now active on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So welcome back to part two, guys, of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Um, should mention, of course, today being Remembrance Sunday here in the UK, a day where we remember those that have fought bravely in many wars and uh, paid the ultimate sacrifice for us to live our day, everyday lives with all the freedoms that we enjoy and in often, quite often take for granted. So um, I'd like to dedicate this episode to the memory of all of those that fought for us. And of course, those that are still with us that fought in those wars as well, lest we forget, always will be remembered. Um, and now for part two. Uh, of the DNF1 F1 podcast. We're now going to talk about the um, engine issue that we talked about in part one. We're going to go into a bit more detail, obviously, with the future of the sport in mind. So to recap on what we were discussing earlier, we were talking about spec engines and the direction of Formula One going forward. Now, as um, Lee 
had already mentioned earlier on. He mentioned that in 2026, when the Concord Agreement expires, the new one obviously going up to 2025, there's going to be some expected changes regarding the current engine. Now, we already stressed in the past that 2026 may not necessarily be soon enough and that there have been options raised or some people asking for engine regulation changes to come a lot sooner. First things first, um, from well, from my perspective, I'm a bit concerned that 2026 is not going to deliver what we would hope in terms of the actual engine regulations and uh, or the change that makes the engines a lot more simplified, a lot cheaper to make, obviously environmentally friendly as well, of course, with the increased usage of biofuels to a point where Formula One believes in the next couple of years, we may end up with engines that run completely 100% on biofuels uh, rather than using diesel in particular. Um, but I think what concerns me is that I feel that 2026 may be too soon for a wholesale change. And what I mean by that, guys, is, you know, in, in the five years leading up to that period, if you're going to achieve engines that are going to deliver all of that, the development work has to start now, or it should have started by now. I'm pretty certain we're not at that phase at this point in time. I'm pretty sure they've understood what the teams are asking for. They've understood the requirements in terms of we need engines that are going to be cheaper to make, but of course, more environmentally friendly. We can't go back to the V8s as we've already discussed already, or even the V10s, as much as Sebastian Vettel would have hoped a couple of years ago when he mentioned that. But the problem, as I said, the problem is it just takes so long to develop the technology. As you know, when they were developing the V6 turbocharged engines that we use today in Formula One, the development work on those was starting back in 2010, 2011. And obviously that work was going ahead and then the teams obviously picked that up and did their own development to the point where we have them. And they were still a work in progress. I remember when they first happened, there were so many issues with them. And I feel that that could be something that's going to happen. Um, I don't know what you guys think, but in my from my perspective, I feel like what we are going to see in 2026 is going to be like a watered down stopgap version for something that may take another five years after that. So we may not see these super efficient, uh, cheaper made engines for another 10 years, purely and simply because the technology at this point in time just doesn't exist. I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this, guys? I mean, where do you think one should go with their engine development? Um, with this in mind, do you think that we should be trying to push for more technologies and perhaps be patient with that? Or do you perhaps feel that we need to try and adopt something to what Formula E has been trying to achieve. Um, I'm going to ask. Uh, sorry. I I forget to ask. Who I'm going to direct the question to. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those of you obviously not watching this uh, podcast on YouTube and listening on Spotify, obviously I'm directing the conversation and uh, obviously making a pig zero of it. But the sounds of it. But um, yeah, Lee, I'm going to put this to you. Where do you think Formula One should try okay. to go in terms of their engine direction? Do you feel that they should be patient with their R and D, put the work in to try and come up with something wholesale in 2030 and keep the regulations, or do you feel perhaps a stopgap version might suffice, or perhaps something like what Formula E is trying to do at the moment? Okay, um, thank you for giving me the question, Adam. Um, <laughs> so, what I probably have a bit more of an outlandish view for the Formula One engines. I don't think whatever Formula One decides to do, they'll be cheaper. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, as proven by just slightly off track, and if you look at the like the renewable sector, 
any new like renewable technology or greener technology was expensive until it mass produced that comes cheap. Um, so I don't think any new or changing in the engine will be cheap, um, which already negates the point you said about having cheaper engines. Um, I, my outlandish view is probably that I, I disagree with biofuels. I think it's a waste of land and it can be better used for growing crops for starving people instead of using to drive cars. That's my personal opinion. Um, but regarding the actual engine, it's interesting about the Formula E electrification, but Formula E have a monopoly on the license of electrified racing. Um, I can't remember the exact year, somewhere in the 2030s, I believe they have it till. Um, so Formula One can't look at electrification. So they have to look at another avenue. Um, and if you look at the motor industry, it really looks down to two possible avenues for the future of electrification and hydrogen powered cars. And if Formula E, have electrification, why Formula One, in my opinion, should look at hydrogen um, ICEs and get rid of um, fuels, biofuels, diesel, petroleum, and go with hydrogen. Clean um, and uh, clean energy, only waste is obviously water, um, which in Bernie's world would be great because there'd be water on the track and they have like uh -huh. slippery roads and need uh -huh. sprinklers. So he'd be very happy. Not, not that the water actually end up on the track, it's just me making the same. Um, but hydrogen powered cars, um, our hydrogen, I think is where Formula One should be looking at, because you can just, it should be easy to convert an, a petroleum ICE into a hydrogen ICE, and um, without too much cost, that can already be done. Um, and it's obviously more it's get done, you can then push technology further. That's how I see Formula One going. If it happens, probably not, but that's my opinion. I mean, hydrogen power was something that I was very interested in seeing if Formula One would go down that route in the future because Honda in particular obviously we've mentioned them a lot already in this episode was taking great strides in the car manufacturing industry to try and make Honda, uh, hydrogen powered cars a thing well obviously they've condensed it um, to a point where it would just become like water vapor and uh, as you mentioned already and that would be the only uh, sort of thing that gets released back into the atmosphere obviously is not ideal, but it's a lot better than carbon dioxide in particular. I think the only issue I have with hydrogen power is the is the safety of it. And in Formula One, obviously in these combustion engines that we have, I'm a bit concerned that hydrogen power may be a bigger risk for health and safety than what we have with petroleum. Uh, I'm not an expert in that area. Um, you know, from what I understand about it, that that's one of the issues that are presented to it. And I don't know if Formula One is able to, oh, I, I, to use the technology that they have in time to be able to develop engines like that, which is why I think they've gone down the biofuel route. Uh, even though, as you mentioned already, it's not really the most environmental um, solution, I suppose, given to the what it would do to land and crops and everything else. Um, and that's perfectly understandable. I think it's just trying to find that happy medium, what the best value for money option is at this point in trying to try and make Formula One more sustainable right. but it was sure the sustainability and the future of the sport from not only a financial perspective but also a performance one as well because that's the key factor and as you pointed out that's why I don't think Formula E is an option or you know the electrified even with the licensing if we took that aside the technology that exists there in theory does have the power and potential to match a Formula One car but not for very long and you know, Formula E used to have a system where you'd swap cars once every race to the point where they don't do that now. If you did that in Formula One, you'd be swapping cars five or six times a race. And that's not really, you know, pit stops are fun, more pit stops are fun, but 
you know, not if it's going to be constantly like that. It just kind of makes the whole thing redundant, uh, especially from a financial perspective. But um, what about you, Courtney? Where would you like to see Formula One go in terms of its future engine concept? Would you go down similar routes to what Lee's mentioned? Or would you prefer to go through the uh, biofuels route or perhaps even something different to those two? Well, you both make some very good points. Um, you know, with Lee's idea, that's going to take a lot of time, isn't it? Which actually backs up the point you made originally, is that that's going to, that's going to take a lot of time. And you, you do, you need to get that balance between sustainability and for it to be as cheap as possible to encourage new manufacturers in. But in a way, maybe going down a whole new route with engine manufacturing might actually encourage new teams to join a sport because Formula One has two responsibilities, doesn't it? The first one would be, you know, Lee said it very early on in the episode about basically being a pinnacle of innovation. You know, that's, that's one of the best things about Formula One, the fact that they can strive to basically get to the best of innovation. So that's one thing you need to be looking at. But also Formula One as the pinnacle of motorsport, they're almost an example to the direction that road cars go. And so you have a responsibility almost to create basically with the engines, basically make them obviously as environmentally friendly as possible and as efficient as possible. Because then, as we've already seen with the hybrid technology, that feeds its way down to the road cars. So they have some massive decisions to make going forward. But again, it comes it all comes back down to the politics where everybody agrees where they want to go. So I personally feel that going down a whole new route, there'd have to be some big discussions with particularly Ferrari. Ferrari, you know, very much on the sports car side of things. So, and Ferrari are, the, whether, whether everybody agrees with it or not, Ferrari are probably the biggest voice in Formula One. So I feel if we were to go down a completely different road when it comes to developing engines. I feel that Ferrari in particular would have a lot of problems with that. No, I absolutely agree. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Ferrari in this instance and obviously how they would feel about this because the one issue I had with, um, you know, what they would do for the engines is the big motivator uh, for Formula One going down these routes is that it serves and is filtered down into its car industry. And whilst we know Ferrari is supercar manufacturers always going to be looking for big engines to produce maximum amount of power. Of course, they're becoming a lot more hybrid. And recently they released, um, I think it was an episode of Top Gear I watched recently, the uh, new version of Top Gear, not the original one, um, where Chris Harris, one of the presenters, was driving in a brand new Ferrari. And it was the first Ferrari that was ever made that you could run fully electric. I mean, not for very long, but nonetheless, it was something, you know, a bit of a, a ceiling shattering moment for Ferrari to, you know, someone like them to produce a car that could literally run fully electric. It was a hybrid. So, you know, it was mainly petrol and electric power, but it was just something that you never thought you would see. And All right, Adam, can I add one more point to the yes. thing? Yes, go for it. I'm um, sorry. Just, um, just a thought that occurred to me on the hydrogen aspect. Sorry to interrupt. Um, obviously, um, if we went to hydrogen, it would appeal to the purists a bit more because obviously a hydrogen powered ICE has a, less bang in the combustion chamber. So you need bigger combustion chamber. Mm. So you could have potentially end up with a V12 hydrogen um, ICE, which the purists would be very happy to have like a V12 in the back of the Formula One. So it's a win-win, isn't it? 
everything I've already said about hydrogen engine, just forget that. I think you've sold me on that. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to bring in the noise factor. I completely <laughs> went over my head. But um, yeah, yeah. All of the stuff I said about hydrogen being extra flammable and dangerous. Nah, forget it. Forget it. We want the loud. We'll about that later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't. We don't want silent engines. I mean, hopefully, Formula One never goes down this route. And if it has engines that don't produce much noise for efficiency purposes, I'm sure they can make something that will sort of be artificial. Um, hopefully, not in the same way that the. Uh, football games that we're seeing on TV are producing artificial crowd noise, which is absolutely terrible to a point where I don't even watch them with the crowd noises anymore. I'd just rather watch it without it now. It's just abysmal. But yeah, no, it's a good point you made on the hydrogen edge. I completely forgot about that. I was too concerned about the safety aspect because I'm bad at him worrying about the safety too much. But uh, <laughs> that's what we're used to. I mean, safety is paramount in Formula One, but naturally, whenever I think of new ideas that are coming into the sport, the first thing I think of, is it safe? to do um otherwise if it's not why are we why are we considering it but um yeah i mean with the engine stuff you know you could create an engine that was absolutely super efficient you know does everything you need it to do perfectly environmentally friendly and it's cheap to do but if companies like ferrari for example or mercedes aren't going to filter that down to their road cars to the point where they're affordable and mass produced it's not going to happen it's something that's going to take time it's going to be you know over a period of research and development and everything else it'd be great if you could do something like that but you would never put a v12 formula one engine into a road car uh, nor would you put <laughs> no you wouldn't you'd love to but you wouldn't put no, the you, same wouldn't. As him. <laughs> you wouldn't just because it costs too much money in london you wouldn't get much out of um, a v12 in london would you well it wouldn't be <laughs> unless you're blackball tunnel you'd only be doing 20 miles an hour but oh my god if you stuck that in first gear that would be the loudest 20 miles an hour you've ever seen or ever heard in this case, I should say. But um, but yeah, I, I was getting a little bit sidetracked on this. But obviously, moving from that, um, I think we're all in agreement that, you know, whilst the engine regulations do have to change, I know we said they'd have to look at uh, more inter immediate solutions, I suppose. I just can't see that happening. And I feel like we're going to get a stopgap version in 2026 to keep everyone happy for a while, to keep people in the sport. Because the last thing we want to do is, you know, we've lost Honda. They're not coming back. Um, at least until Formula One goes completely green, which may not happen for 10, 20 years at the earliest. Um, Honda may have to, you know, be the catalyst for that change and then provide the engines for the sport that can do that. You know, we'll have to wait and see. But, um, you know, you don't want to lose a company like Mercedes. Mercedes have always teased at the idea of going back to being just an engine supplier. Financially speaking, I can't see why that would make sense, especially considering the success that they're having. So I don't see that happening, thankfully. Looks like Mercedes are going to stick around a lot longer than they did last time. Um, and then there's Renault. Now, Renault obviously becoming Alpine next year. Renault are going to be primarily an engine supplier to Alpine, which is the division of Renault. Um, again, there is that concern that, you know, whilst Formula like Mercedes and Renault obviously trying to look at different avenues and Honda going away, that we perilously close to being in a situation where Formula One may end up becoming, unlikely as it sounds, a one-spec engine sport all powered by Ferrari, which um, I don't think anyone would want, um, it, unless it's Ferrari, it's just more money coming in. I mean, that's just an idea to throw out there. I'm not going to ask you on your thoughts on that, because we mentioned A1GP, and uh, for financial reasons, that obviously didn't work. Um, as fun as it was to watch back then, for those of you that did remember that, if you didn't remember Formula, uh, sorry, A1GP, it was basically just the World Cup of Motorsport as they advertised it, but it was no different to Formula 3 or Formula 2, it was pretty much a junior series um, with the nationality element to it. 
but um, obviously you get sidetracked now. It's my fault there. But uh, to the final part, let's sort of go back to Red Bull. Now, of course, Honda moving on. There's different options for Red Bull. And um, I'm going to tease you guys with a few of them and see which one you think is most likely. So right now, Red Bull, obviously they're going to be losing Honda f- after 2021. There is the option that they may decide to keep the Honda engines that they have and then hire some personnel from Honda to try and work on those. Um, first of all, do you think that's realistic? Um, Lee, I'll ask you that one first of all. Um, I, I know I've been aware that the Red Bull have asked for an engine freeze um, for 2022 onwards. Um, and Mercedes are up for it because obviously, well, why, why would they say no to freezing the best engine on the on the grid? That's <laughs> they keep keep their status quo. Um, but the with Ferrari and Renault have said no, we we don't up for that. We want to we want to catch Ferrari, uh, catch Mercedes, I should say. Ferrari want to get back to where they were in 2019. <laughs> and, and Renault obviously, or I say Alpine want to improve. Um, so I, I don't think an engine freeze is going to happen. But do they you just think... the mm. sorry, I was, sorry, I was cut you off. But what I mean, what my question was is, do you think that oh, okay. uh, Red Bull may go for the four? Because obviously, you know, you're absolutely right to point out that an engine freeze that Red Bull would propose for 2022 onwards, of course, as you said, Mercedes wouldn't mind that because they've got the best engine. And an engine freeze for some people that are unsure what that means does not mean everyone's frozen on, on the same spec performance. It basically means what you have, that's what you're going to keep and you can't work on it or develop it or anything else unless it's reliability. And maybe even then you're not allowed to have that. Um, you know, and, and then there's Renault that aren't really keen on it because obviously they've got work to do and Ferrari especially aren't going to want that. And with the veto power that Ferrari have, it doesn't matter what Red Bull wants. If Ferrari don't want it, it's not happening. And, uh, you know, so I think the engine freeze issue, I don't think that's going to happen. But no, obviously what, what I was going to ask was, is the fourth option for Red Bull rather than trying to get a Mercedes, a Renault or Ferrari engine, whichever one that, and we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. Do you feel that, is it likely that they would be able to try and keep that Honda engine, work on it themselves, but of course hiring the necessary personnel from Honda or the experts to help work on that engine? Or do you feel that perhaps that's not possible because one, they might want to have uh, expand their options on this engine or have a new engine or that Honda may not be able to spare that personnel or those experts that they would need on their environmental projects I mean I'll ask I'll, I'll put that to you Lee obviously okay um sorry I'm missing your initial question um now I, I would say obviously just what I touched on previously they want a engine freeze and um, if that doesn't happen and um, obviously Dr Helmut Marco said Red Bull and AlphaTauri could walk away from the sport I don't think that will happen. Um, I don't think they want to have a Renault. They definitely don't want to have a Ferrari at the moment, and they would love to have a Mercedes, but Mercedes already said they won't give them a Mercedes engine. So the likelihood of hiring Honda engineers or other third parties to help develop the engine will be an expense that I don't think Rebel would rush to have in a hurry because they don't want to be an engine manufacturer. But they... The states have been a works team and given the options to develop in their chassis is what they want. And I think for a couple of years, as long as the engine rules and there's stuff changed in 2026, which we touched on previously, changes and they can get a new engine, I think they're willing to do it for a few years. But I don't, as I said, that wouldn't be their first choice. 
And uh, what about you, Courtney? What do you think Red Bull will have to do? I think um, sticking with, you know, with the personnel Honda would be, I personally feel the most ideal option for Red Bull because I feel that the next couple of seasons are, are really going to define where Red Bull as a team go forward because, okay, maybe they can get away with next season because obviously they're still going to have Honda as a manufacturer and they're not expected to win next year's championship. But if they go into... 2022 and 2023 and they find themselves far behind when you go when you go apart from Ferrari maybe if you go quite a few seasons without winning the championship or being close we've seen it happen with the likes of McLaren and Williams you start finding yourself slipping down the pecking order and then with that you're going to they're going to end up losing their, their talisman Max Verstappen they'll be looking to move to probably Mercedes when Lewis is highest and they find themselves in a position where they can't really compete in the sport anymore so for their best interest they need to come up with a solution pretty fast and the, the safest bet would be trying to keep people from Honda but I can't see them wanting to go back to Renault because you know that's, that's, that's that didn't end well it's like going back to a foul, foul marriage really isn't it you don't nobody wants to be doing that um but yeah it's, it's tough it's tough but um I feel the best option would be for them because Red Bull do have money they're one of the richest teams in the sport so maybe for the next season or so until they come up with a plan B, I suppose trying to keep personnel from Honda would be the best option for them. Yeah, I mean, Mercedes have quite often talked about the possibility where they'd entertain the idea of potentially supplying Red Bull in the past. Um, I honestly don't believe in a month of Sundays that that would happen. I mean, why would you strengthen a rival? That makes absolutely no, no sense. And, you know, this is the same with Ferrari. Not that Honda would, uh, sorry, not Honda, not that Red Bull would want Ferrari right now. Of course they wouldn't. But if they were in a corner and they had to try and talk to Ferrari, uh, Ferrari wouldn't be interested either. Why strengthen a direct rifle? Makes no sense. So that leaves the Renault option. Uh, and I feel this is the most likely one for two reasons. One, because as Courtney put it, the uh, ex-wife, if you like, uh, is a lot more attractive now than it once was. It's not um, having the, the reliability issues as often as it had. I mean, it had a few of, re of late, but um, it, it's a much better, a much more competitive engine, especially in, with Renault doing a lot better this season and McLaren as well have done well with it. But of course, they're going to Mercedes next year anyway. And secondly, and this is probably the one that will prove to be the defining factor, is the fact that under the current Concord Agreement rules, if uh, Red Bull can't find themselves an agreement with uh, an engine supplier in the sport, they will have to be defaulted to uh, strike an agreement with the manufacturer with the fewest customers, which will be Renault because they'll only be supplying themselves. They'll have to take on Red Bull and Alpha Tauri. And uh, as Lee mentioned, I don't expect them to leave. I mean, it makes no sense for them to leave. And uh, I do think that Renault option is going to, is going to be the one that does happen purely and simply because I think of late, they've been talking a lot more amicably Christian Horner and Cyril Abitable about the, you know, working together again, that they did have a lot of success in the past so i don't see why that won't happen i mean the honda idea sounds great and if next engine proves to be uh, a world championship contender engine then maybe that is an option they may seek but i just feel that honda are going to put all their resources into the environmental projects they're going to need their experts where they are i don't think they're going to allow red bull to try and take a division of uh, engineers away from them just for the sake of you know giving them uh, more development on an engine which they claim would be a world beater but we'll have to wait and see on what happens with that one but um just looking at the time now i think it's probably a good time to wrap this up guys i mean we said quite a lot on this engine stuff and probably made 
no closer, well, probably no closer to trying to decide on what the definitive option is. Seems to have gone completely different ways on it as expected. But uh, first of all, obviously, I just want to thank Lee for joining us once again, giving us that great insight, as he so often does, on a very technical discussion. Not always the most enjoyable one to listen to, but definitely a very important one nonetheless. So thank you, Lee, for joining us once again. No problem. And uh, of course, Courtney, thanks once again for uh, co-hosting this episode with me, as you always do, looking good there with your... uh, Oruja Radio background, the DNF1 F1 podcast flyer there, and your Mercedes top as well. No, thanks, thanks for having me, and thank you, Lee, for coming along. I feel that like we uh, we went through quite a few um, important things, and um, let's keep going with this. I feel it's going really well, and I hope everyone's enjoying what we do because we're certainly enjoying doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the, the last episode that we did, obviously, that's now our most uh, viewed episode on the YouTube channel. So thank you very much for everyone who's watched that. And of course, thank you to everyone who's subscribing to the channel. Of course, we've got newer things coming, newer content ideas over the winter break that we're looking forward to sharing with you guys. So hopefully you'll stick around for that as well. And of course, if you are new to the channel, make sure to like this video, share and subscribe to the channel. It really helps us out. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram personally. We all have our handles in our boxes, including Lee's as well, in case you want to follow him on Instagram. And of course, we have the DNF1 F1 podcast Uh, social media handles on facebook and youtube dnf1-f1 podcast and twitter instagram dnf1 underscore podcast so until then guys stay safe thanks for tuning in this week and we'll see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast see you soon Podcast Network.